Welcome to Mysterious Goings On. We're going to get right to the show after these messages. This episode is brought to you by Spotify and Anchor, your source for the best in music, podcasts, and more. You can also be someone who helps bring more to your life with Mysterious Goings On by being a listener supporter. Please click on the link in our show notes and you will be offered three tiers for support. We have a 99 cent per month tier, $4.99 per month and $9.99 per month. You can buy it with Google Pay or use with a credit card instead. This helps keep the show going. I could use your support if you really enjoy Mysterious Goings On and lots of you have since 2016. We'd love to keep going and some listener support like you would be very, very helpful to me and keeping the show moving right along there. So as I always say at the end of every show, keep reading, but also keep listening and please consider supporting Mysterious Goings On. a famous musician. I read an interview with him about 25, 30 years ago, and he said something that stuck with me. He said, um, uh, to be creative, at least, you, you've got to have pain in your life. And if you don't have any pain in your life, you need to go out there and get some. It struck me. I don't know what that struck me as. Is that being profound or silly or what? But I know one thing. I don't think anybody has to go get some pain. I think we all have pain. And I think to a degree, we all have trauma. Um, but maybe not on the same level as what we're going to discuss today with our guest. Uh, he's a guy who survived a suicide attack in Afghanistan, but found out that his traumatic experience there had helped him to see the person he'd been running from. Uh, all the drama that Harold Pfeiffer faced in his past was never put to bed until he poured out his life story to a guy named Dylan um, on a Southeast Asian tropical beach. And we're going to talk about that conversation, which is uh, chronicled in Surviving Chaos, How I Found Peace at a Beach Bar. Harold Pfeiffer, welcome to Mysterious Goings On. Thank you. How you doing yourself? Doing all right. Doing all right. I, uh, I, I understand trauma quite well, and I, we all have different kinds of trauma. Um, but I was curious, uh, particularly with, forgive me, with Afghanistan at this recording being in the news, how are you doing today with the news? Are you into it or are you shutting it out? How, how are you operating? I'm still into it. Um, got to work with a number of Afghans and got to know them and, and actually say, uh, come close to them. And uh, it's painful to know some of them may not get out or didn't get out. Um, so, you know, kind of dealing with that, feeling actually a little guilt, to be honest. Do you care to elaborate on that? Yeah. Um, you know, um, the people that work with us were not really part of the um, special immigration visa. And, uh, but a lot of what we did were involved with the military. It just, it's what happened to be the company we worked for, you know, then connect, I guess, 
to a NATO, I guess, something, something, whatever the politics of that. So <clears throat> they're struggling trying to get out um, somehow. And uh, knowing what may happen to them, you know, you, you know, your heart bleeds, you know, they, they don't deserve it. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and, and another thing, um, the politics of it, I hate to dig into too much, but this was going to be ugly either way. Um, that and um, it's tough for us being there. I mean, I'm, I bet you anybody you poll would say we really should be there, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It would seem I'm something of a student of history, and it just seems like we we didn't quite learn our lesson from some other things in our history. And you know that that very somewhat cliched but true statement that Afghanistan is where empires go to die, uh, because you just get mired in there. And uh, it, it, and Harold, I'm just speaking as an outsider, did not serve, did not go there, but it just seems to me it's a place where the population has maybe thousands of years of, of understanding how to deal with uh, invaders. And one of the ways is simply to wait them out. And, and I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, they're disconnected in ways. And, you know, what binds them is, I guess, their culture, religion. So even though, you know, like I said, we're like I said, being intruders, they still feel they, have, you know, you don't belong there, except when this happened, it caught every, it caught everybody off guard. Yeah, I think it, I think the younger people, which we were mostly dealing with, had resigned to we would be there. Hmm. You know, so well, wow. like I said, it's criticism all the way around. I, I think they just got used to being there. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, it sounds perfectly logical, human nature. Um, you know, because you keep hearing, well, why didn't they get out? They knew that this was coming. But I, I wonder, besides the bureaucratic mess and the chaos, it's just that there's a human denial. People just don't want to think about that, right? They just like, no, we're going to be fine. They're not going to really leave. Do you think that's potentially part of it? Oh, definitely. And it's a different culture. It's a, and I mean, of course, that goes to what I'm saying, but I'm saying, but where I'm going is, um, it's, uh, I want to say it's crooked up and down. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, you can find crooks everywhere, you know, but you're not going to consistently find a crook, say, um, uh, in the ministry. You're not going to consistently find crooks in uh, its doctors. Uh, you're not going to consistently find crooks, say, um, I don't know, say the post office. But <laughs> with them, it's up and down, you know. <laughs> so it's, to the point, I, I it's like, are they cricket or just, just their real life? It, you know, it's it is that wide. <laughs> you know, wow. Yeah, yeah. I I heard an anecdote, Harold, about uh, that a reporter told about uh, who was there. He told about. He said, "Yeah, the, we would keep the, the story about the bridge. There was a bridge that." Uh, they would they the the U.S. rebuilt for them, and within a few weeks or months, it was blown up. And then they would go to the guy, the local contractor they work with, and said, "Okay, we got to rebuild the bridge." And then within a few weeks or months after it was built, it was blown up again. And it turns out the guy's cousin or brother or something was in the Taliban. So it was this 
it was this, you know, Ouroboros. It was this constantly, you know, snake eating its own tail kind of thing going on here. And it's just, I don't know. It's very uh, Sisyphean, you know, just kind of keep pushing that rock up the hill and then rolling it back down and pushing it back up. Well, I, I, I appreciate your insights on that. Uh, could you, I guess so, so we can get into the book itself here on Surviving Chaos. Can you just illustrate or tell to our listeners, what were you doing there? What was your role in Afghanistan and about how long were you there, et cetera? Yeah, I was an air traffic controller, and um, I did it by contract. And uh, the captain, I did contract with the uh, U.S. or the State Department uh, to do it there for, uh, for the Afghan or for that area of the country. Because uh, we talked to more than far from more airplanes that, uh, that overflew from the U.S., uh, Great Britain, France, you name it, uh, Thailand that overflew the country. So we provide that service for them. And, but <clears throat> we resided in Kabul and uh, part of living there, uh, we lived just slightly outside the wire. And, um, and the place got, uh, got hit and our place got hit and other facilities got hit that were not as fortunate as we were. But in, in the process, um, you know, I, I thought, you know, this is the end of it. I'm going to die. And uh, so I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I always wanted to write a book and I never written that book. So like, I guess I take that, all those memories, all those stories to my grave. But I sit there like, you know, I bow, you know, to God, if I ever make it out of that, I would write that book. And Surviving Chaos, How I Found Peace at a Beach Bar, it's a result of me getting out and writing that book. Were, were you at Hamid Karzai or were you at the military base? We were just uh, south of Hermit Carthay. Um, oh, oh, your own! It was your own facility then. It wasn't part of the civil airport or the military airport. Is that right? Right, right, oh, right. Okay. The, civil, the civil part is like the south side of the, uh, let's say, runway, mm-hmm. and the military part is like the north side of the runway. Okay. But, so, but, go ahead. Sorry. And, and where we worked, where we actually worked, was kind of like uh, in between those two. Uh, we worked. <laughs> Count on the south side of the runway, but we worked at all civil and um, and the military right there. Okay, okay, interesting. Kind of caught in the middle there. It's it's an interesting uh, uh, metaphor too, isn't it? Uh, right. So uh, let's let's move forward. The the book is, uh, and by the way, the book is gorgeous. The the cover is wow, it's beautiful, and it's a great volume. It reads quickly. The but it's an interesting um, conceit the way you do this. Um, and Harold, pardon the silly question, but it reads so much like fiction. But it's not fiction, is it? It's not fiction at all. So let, let's go. Let's go to the uh, the inspiration here for this. Um, now you you did survive this traumatic experience. Uh, you survived suicide attack in Afghanistan. Um, but then we, we when we when we join our hero when we join you, um, you're on a beach. Uh, it was where were you? I'm sorry. Was it Thailand? Where were you? You on a beach, right? In Thailand. And seventy-something-year-old uh, gentleman walks up to you, and it, I get the impression when I read when I read this at first that he was annoying you. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You know, I'm I'm sitting there in my own world. You know, collecting. You know, trying to collect myself, and you know, you're thinking every day that wow, you know, I'm alive, kind of thing. And and this guy obviously had been observing me. This uh, older white guy. And so I'm, I'm 
a little distant, like, you know, kind of like, you know, I don't know you, you don't know me, you know, just, I don't know, just being abrasive. And uh, he finally, you know, talked me into having a drink, you know, and, and it went from there. He wanted to know about my life and, and everything that I experienced when, uh, that I was under duress or uh, under that suicide attack, I started to pour out to him. And the book is, is each chapter is, is, it's a new, it's a, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a new reverie and a memory. But what we get down to, where we get back to though, is you have these experiences, but also you, um, through this, through surviving this traumatic attack and then through this catalyst, which is this man on the beach who, who let's, let's be honest, plies you with drinks. He buys you drinks to hear your story. <laughs> My kind of guy, by the way. And, uh, <laughs> You arrive at something that, about your childhood that you'd never fully explored. We, I mean, and we don't have to give away everything here, but is there parts of this you, you'd like to share with us about what you what you found? Well, yeah, um, it took me a lot of years to realize how evil my aunt was, <laughs> how manipulative she was. Um, it took me years to realize... Um, I wasn't good at socializing with people and and I didn't know why. Yeah. And after pouring out it, it became evident and talking to Dylan it became evident that, you know, where I grew up, um, growing up with a schizophrenic mom who I mean took pleasure and embarrassed me or knowing she had her episodes, but she made sure I caught all of it, basically, you know, and um and they made they some of them may not have been real, but she made sure she she stuck it to Harold, and 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 it, and it traumatized me for years, you know. And I and and I hid it you know, as best I could when I got out of when I got out of my town, but it was still buried there, and it was still eating at me. I was still poor at socializing or even communicating in some regard. And you grew up in Mississippi, in Columbia, Columbus, no, I'm sorry, yeah, Columbus, Mississippi. And you spent a good chunk, well, really, what, the first quarter, first 25 years of your life there, right? Right, right. And, excuse me, um, a little tickle in my throat there, Um, excuse me. But uh, you you can look back and realize, though, that you grew up in, uh, as, if you don't mind me saying, an abused child. And uh, I know a little bit about this, and I know that children... Uh, particularly if you catch them at the right age, and I don't mean that in a nice way, but if, if the abuser catches them at the right age when they're still uh, forming and becoming their own little human being, yeah. um, there's a, there's certain ages where they need certain kinds of nurturing and they need security, and they, they what they don't need is to be to be ghosted or abused or yelled at or hit or all those things because unfortunately if that happens enough consistently at the, those ages when a child is 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 maturing um, into a little person and not just kind of this vessel that's being filled with whatever the environment is surrounding it um, it can lead to problems that 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 can be lifelong and well into adulthood which um, in some places or some people can uh, mean that they will repeat those same things and visit them upon their spouse or their children or their friends. Is, does that feel like an accurate description? Oh, most definitely. Um, the difference in my book, um, Surviving Chaos, I, I didn't want to show just the drama. I want to show some of the causes or some of the, uh, 
examples. Like when I, I talked about some bullying and how I reacted, <laughs> like oh, I, one, I talked about throwing piss on a guy. <laughs> I talked about um, trying to date and how bad I was. So <clears throat> not, not only was I bad at it, but I showed examples or gave stories of a, they were funny and they're funny, even the funny now, but how, how my warped sense of socialized or dating was and, and some of the dates I had. So, you know, and once you read them, you'll see that they're, they're wild, they're funny. Um, so I want to show a lot of that side more than just say, woe is me. Right. You know, um, some of the, ep the episodes my mom had, I wanted to show how, how you call it, um, how they would hit you out of nowhere, just it would come and um or how her outburst and some of it was funny but but they weren't they weren't funny then <laughs> but but um i wanted to kind of give example kind of paint it for for the reader more so than just say this person had a schizophrenia or i was bullied i wanted or i was bad at day i wanted to paint those pictures and, and i laid it out and people love the stories you know I mean, I'm glad they do, you know, but but once they go through it, then they realize a lot of it is masking the pain. But I, I wanted to get it out there differently than any dramatic story I've ever read. Uh, read. Right, right. Well, you know, uh, Andrea Hammer with Forward Reviews says that your anecdotes are disturbing, often painful and compelling. Startling parallels exist between stories of a bombing in Afghanistan and quote, mayhem, unquote, encountered during his childhood, while phrases such as, quote, shaking like lambs in the woods, unquote, are used to describe his uh, first experiences elsewhere, and warden of that asylum evokes difficult memories. Um, but, and I can see that, and, and that's the thing, and it's, it's awkward, Harold, for me to say this part, but... You tell these, and it's it's a compliment. I think you know that. But you tell these things in such compelling, colorful ways. These stories about what happened, and you're right. And it's it's not woe is me. It's not all <clears throat> excuse me. It's not all woe is me. It's not this. And I think also you you are definitely making sure that you are not employing a shorthand by just saying like you just said, mom had schizophrenia. Um, I had trouble, you know, dating, doing these things. Um, those are, those are great sentences, sure, but I think it goes right to people who don't understand schizophrenia. They have no idea what it is. They only know it's been on TV or the movies. Um, but when you can illustrate what an outburst from a schizophrenic uh, is or can be and what effect it has on a child all the way into adulthood, that's where, uh, that's where the word compelling uh, becomes right there with surviving chaos, I think. Right, right. definitely, definitely. It, it, it's a <clears throat> another thing I tell people. I said it's a. I said you know I said I can talk about successes even you know I do okay now I can talk about success, and you know you, you either being arrogant or narcissistic or whatever. But my book it talks a lot about losing, and I wanted to point out, in, in a way, losing is not always bad because it was the losing that kept me going, and it's a lot of losing in my book. But it's the way I lost and the way it happened and the way I approached it that I wanted to show, I wanted to bring out. Is is chaos, is everybody living a life of chaos and they just, and, and a lot of people just don't know it? I think so. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. 
What do you do when you meet uh, meet new people who who genuinely like you and like hanging with you, um, but you you glean from getting to know them that they have had zero these kinds of experiences in their lives? Um, because of course it's not fair to say to somebody who's been blessed with a, a really great upbringing and you know success and all that um, you can't grudge them their problems even though they're dwarfed by your problems or what your problems were but has that been difficult did you ever resent people who seem to quote had it easy compared to you a little bit there have been time i'll be lying to say differently um but one of the things that hit me right after i get out of college and what did with a lot of the burying, I realized, um, you know, if you want sympathy or compassion, yeah, you're probably gonna get it, but they're not gonna invite you to the party. <laughs> they're not gonna invite you out to hang out for beers too often. Uh, so I learned to start burying. Not, you know, just don't go there. Yeah. You know, you know, you you won't get invited to the football game hey let's let, you know let's you know let's let's get together for the super bowl or whatever you know so yeah as bad as that sounds it's true you know you know you, you, or even and i hate to say this but someone who's dealing with even an illness but what's the likelihood you're gonna say hey come on to the super bowl or hey uh i got a uh, a big birthday bash this weekend you want you know it don't naturally happen so i i realized hey i need to bury that don't bring it up if you want to try to start fitting in uh, yeah i understand that yeah I, I know i understand exactly what you're feeling you you don't want to be the er uh, for winnie the pooh fans you don't want to be er all the time you know you right. and sometimes and i know this as well that you you it might lead uh you you as in the royal you, as in people who've suffered these kinds of things, it might lead to you overcompensating um, and trying to be the life of the party or trying to be happy-go-lucky or constantly um, brushing past the kind of questions about childhood, that kind of thing. It's It fascinates me the way, the way we do that. Um, Harold, this is not your only work. Um, uh, you also, in 2018, started your career in, in writing with a single book called Sleepwalking Out of Afghanistan. And I, I'd love to hear just a little bit about that one. Yeah, actually, that was the uh, first version of this book. And um, the Bible Cavs better edited uh, more stories. And to be honest, um, it's more enlightening. It's not it's, uh, uh, a little bit more funny, even though uh, sleepwalking is still along that same, uh, you know, um, zany humor and um, still still had the uh, uh, traumatic experience. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's better. Surviving chaos is better done. Hmm. Yeah. And, and you, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. No, and, and, and the book has uh, won a few awards. Um, so it's, um, it, you know, I, I've done a, a few more things with it than I did with Sleepwalk. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's great when you can take something like that and build on it and uh, and move forward. 
I've done that myself with a few things. I've incorporated some older stuff into some newer stuff and, you know, not trying to pull the wool over anybody's eyes. They make it pretty clear this is previously published or something, but yeah, that's, that's excellent. So you you also have uh, a third work, uh, but it's not under your name. It's called Fool Me Thrice. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, I won't say all the ego, but it's a, um, yeah, I, I want to do uh, a fiction book. I figured I had one of those in me. So it, it's about this guy that's, um, who's a womanizer and he, um, he inherited a lot of money, but through his womanizer, he lost it. So he's trying to find himself and find love and kind of, and going through it. He makes a lot of the same mistakes, uh, even though he, he meets two great women and he, he's torn between it. But, uh, but then a lot of his, um, experiences goes back from where he thought he was the womanizer, but they were actually using him. So it's, it's, it's a good story and I'm trying to do a follow-up to it. Um, and, uh, I guess I want to say I, I find it more funny and people find it funny and romantic and it's, uh, it's a, it's a big twist in there near the end. Uh, I, I love this. I, I think it's fun. And uh, uh, it's done under a pen name, Dean Conan, correct? Right. Yeah, who's got a, he's got his own life of his own. Uh, you can just check that out, folks. You can check the About the Author page on that one. Uh, it's pretty cool. Um, so, Harold, you know, as we're wrapping up here, man, I've really enjoyed the, I, wa- I want you to know I love the – I just like your tempo. I like the way you tell the story. I like the turn of phrase. Um, I'd love to ask you if you don't mind, and here we go with the technical question, but do you, did you, do you find that you write in big spurts like this, drawing on memory, or did it take you a while to really draw each of these, these chapters, therefore these memories out to put into the book? The story itself, let's say sleepwalking, uh, took me about a year, about 13 months. And, um, and there was spurts, like you say, you're right. Um, and in Surviving Chaos, actually, is a compilation of two books, Sleepwalking and one that was going to be uh, The Bicycle what which was directly at uh, my mom's schizophrenia. Right. So I kind of morphed the two books and took the better part and rebuilt uh, Surviving Chaos. Well, it's it's a great it's a great story. It, you. And I, just, I have to ask you a question here, and you, we'll see how you do with this one. How are you? I'm, I think I'm pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a laid back person. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I enjoy the writing, enjoy the um, uh, the attention and book bring, of course, you know. Um, but I, I think I'm pretty good. Yeah, and would you say that the books were instrumental in that? Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, there, there's a story that in, in Surviving Chaos called um, Dinner at Two. And in writing that one, I found so much peace. It was like the, it sounds weird, but it was like the resentment or I guess you can say um, of uh, everything I went through it turned and in that chapter it, it you know i exposed how i guess me my dad had turned 
which, you know, it, it was a challenge itself, but meeting him and trying to come to grip with him and everything I had lived so far, that story, you know, just the way I spit it out there, I liked it because it was so on point. Hmm. And it, it made me feel sense of uh, relief. It, it was weird. It was weird. It, it's well, these these relief valves are out there, I think, for for victims of trauma. It's just a question of do you see them and are you ready to see them? And then some, something the most sometimes the most innocuous thing you could do, uh, at least in my experience, helps you turn those valves off. And, the, and, and then the steam goes away and the pressure goes away and things uh, that are a byproduct of it, like resentment start to fade out. The, uh, there's a great line uh, Michael and Dacia wrote for The English Patient. It's a great novel. You say what you will about the movie. I like the movie. Um, but uh, the, the Willem Dafoe character, uh, you know, was hell-bent on killing the English patient because he all these things. And uh, that night he really wanted to. Then by morning, uh, for a lot of reasons, it didn't happen. And he's chatting and he just says, you know, the, uh, something along the lines of the, the poison drains away. And I think that uh, that can happen too if you if you have that right moment and you can seize that right moment and you're ready for it. The poison that that is in your system, resentment, uh, uh, all those things, it, it can it can drain away. You're right. That that that's that's a great way to put it. It did. It drained away. You're right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Harold, I, I I I got one last question for you, and that is, what's next? <laughs> I want to do a story about being a contractor and what I saw leaving Afghanistan. I'm not a military person. I've been contract for about uh, almost 11 years, but what I saw was, um, it was somewhat shocking, you know, and I, and I guess, and, and I know military people, people who've been close to war, it's nothing, it's new, it's nothing new to them. But still, it was new to me. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think uh, it's timely, obviously. But uh, yeah, I'd I'd love to see that, and I hope when that does uh, materialize, that you'll you'll come back and talk to us about it here on the show. Sure will. Uh, Harold Pfeiffer, how I a surviving chaos, how I found peace at a beach bar. Folks, seriously, get this book. It's it's marvelous. Um, you can find it, I believe, at all the usual suspects. And uh, there'll be links in the show notes at uh, mgopod.com. Uh, and Harold, let me make sure I got this right. Is uh, Your website is rnrfreepress.com? That, that's correct. And that's an R and then the letter N and the letter R, freepress.com. But folks, don't worry about it. Get, don't get off the treadmill. Don't don't pull over the car. It'll all be in your show notes, and you can click there, and you can uh, – there's there's some great stuff here, by the way. There's – there's because uh, it's it's this whole publishing outfit here that's the link to, and there's some caps and shirts and accessories and, of course, books, lots of books, and all three of Harold's books, Surviving Chaos, Fool Me Thrice, and Sleepwalking Out of Afghanistan. Harold Pfeiffer, thank you so much for sharing your story. I, I think that um, you're you're a courageous person, and I am uh, honored to have had you here on Mysterious Goings On. I appreciate it, Mr. Greenwood. This is Maddie Dalrymple, the author of the Anne Kinnear Suspense Novels and Suspense Shorts, and you're listening to Mysterious Goings On.
Thanks so much for listening to Mysterious Goings On. Don't forget we have a complete archive of all of our interviews, monologues, updates, live readings, dead readings. All of that stuff is available at mgopod.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to us so you never miss an episode. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the usual suspects. Please join us there. Again, don't forget, mgopod.com also has links where to find me on social media and how to get in touch in case you want to be a guest here on the show. Well, I think it's time that I move on for this week, but until next time, keep reading.